Good morning, everyone. Glad to be with you again. Last week I was um, over at Bush Lake and Pastor Zach was preaching, did a great job last week on that message. And I have to give a shout out to Bush Lake and so grateful to be with you last week from the greeting I received in the parking lot to the hospitality teams throughout the campus and the experience for that hour of worship. I got to meet a couple of new first time visitors last Sunday. I just say Bush Lake, well done. I felt the love of God with you and also um, the love of each other. And I pray that that's the experience. If you're a guest today, you just feel the love of God as you've gathered together. We're continuing this series called Rhythm, Living in Step with God. And, and what a practice it is. To live in step with God is no small feat, but I think it's a, a noble and good goal for us in the course of this year to be able to live with God and make that a priority of our journey. And to launch the series, we've been in, um, I think, one of the most strengthening passages of scripture in all of the Bible. It's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. And for those who have been with us, it has been our choice for 2022, the word of the year. Shema, meaning hear and obey, listen and be faithful. So you can begin using that word in your homes. Shema, I'm gonna have you say it with me. Shema, with a little more Jewish gusto. Shema, yeah, that's just Shema. You gotta bring that home and you can take it to your kids. Shema. Listen and obey. <laughs> this is good. So this is part of what we get to do in, in 2022. Excited for that. But it's also the very first word of the primary text that we've been studying at the launch of the year. The text called the Shema and the first word from Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to invite you to say it with me since we're memorizing it together. Join me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your now listen, this is the compass for our lives. And I know it's not a good practice to call people names, but I'm gonna call you a name. <laughs> and don't be offended, okay, personally, but has anybody told you that you, you really are a nefesh? I know, I, don't take it personally, um, don't be offended in it, but it sounds a little harsh. You're, you're, a, ne you're a real nefesh, in fact. And nefesh is the Hebrew word for soul. And we are studying today what it means to love the Lord our God with all your soul. And the, the worth of your soul, friends, is just remarkable. In fact, the most classic statement about the soul comes from Jesus himself when he says, what good is it if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And we have misunderstood what Jesus meant. We've misapplied the teaching of Jesus in that text because we have thought it to mean um, what good does it do you to acquire so much wealth and land and stuff to indulge in the pleasures of this world and then go to hell? That's how we've interpreted that. You, you get all of this and then you're gonna go to hell. But Jesus was not talking about hell here. He was talking about the, 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 the uh, diagnosis of our soul, not the destination of our soul. He was talking about the condition of our soul, in fact, that it won't do you any good to acquire all of this money and this stuff um, if the condition of your soul, um, which is the heartbeat of your life, the life center, um, if you end up losing your soul, losing your, the health of your inner center. So, 
soul has everything to do with your whole being in the here and the now, your life center that allows you to, to organize your life and the things that guide your life, it's your soul. But that's not how we've always understood it. And yet we're gonna give energy and attention to this call to not lose the, the central operating system of your life, your soul. And why is your soul of such immense worth? Well, it's because it was the very first birthday gift that God gave to you. Have you ever thought about God giving you birthday gifts every year that you ought to remember and celebrate? Your very first birthday gift is your soul. We read about it in Genesis 2-7. God formed man and out of the dirt, the ground, and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man came alive, a living soul. So you are a nephesh. You're a soul made by God for God, and your soul needs God, and therefore we cannot go throughout this life being self-sufficient, self-dependent. We were created to need God in our life and our journey. And so we take that invitation, therefore, to love the Lord your God with all your nephesh, your soul. So what does soul specifically mean? Well, it's a seven-layer cake. There's a lot to it, to say the least. And so I wanna pull your attention into our friends at the Bible Project who put together a beautiful video that talks about the layers, the dimensions of the soul. And I guarantee you, you're gonna learn a lot in the next four minutes or so um, with this Bible Project perspective of the soul. Because when we hear the word soul, we think of it as being a spiritual word, ambiguous, and where do you find its relevance? Oh, it's anything but ambiguous, as you'll see here. Then I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna give you some dimensions of the soul to put legs to it, to help us care for the soul, knowing what the soul is and how to better care for it. So would you take this in, the Bible Project, the soul. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nephesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we miss the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nephesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nephesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nephesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nephesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nephesh. And if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nephesh remains. It's just called a dead nephesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nephesh. Rather, they are a nephesh, a living, breathing, physical being. 
Now that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nephesh. So even though nephesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And it gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nephesh live that it may praise you. By using nephesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nephesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nephesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nephesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's, but then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nephesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. Isn't that good? That's really clarifying to give you a broader scope of what nephesh is, and you're a real nephesh. It's a beautiful quality and description of who we get to be. And I find it particularly helpful to remember that my soul is not the disembodied state that survives apart from my body when I die. It is the whole of my being, that what runs your life is your soul. And so you will care for your soul better when you understand the dimensions of your soul. And the dimensions of your soul are clarified for us and reinforced by Dallas Willard when he says that the soul is the, that aspect of your whole being that correlates and integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. And so how do you love the Lord your God with all your soul? Well, in caring for the dimensions of your soul. And that includes your will, your mind, and your body. And I want to give my energy and attention to each of these briefly this morning. I want to start out with um, your will. And I want to bring you back to our theme word for 2022, Shema. Shema and listen for and align your will with God's will so that you may love the Lord your God with all of your soul. See, the will is the ability to choose. It's your ability to say yes and no. It's the 
home bed of your intentions, you could say, and that when God breathed life into us, his intent is that we would be able to live in a perfect, harmonious relationship with the living God. We just don't always do that, obviously, because we have this battle, this little thing called sin that hijacks our choices to love God, his way, and his will, and instead, we start to live according to our way and our will and what we want in life and journey. And it challenges us at at every front. In fact, that battle for the will begins very early, doesn't it? What's the favorite word of a two-year-old? No. What's the second favorite word of a two-year-old? Mine. And we heard that word for the first time in our, our home a week ago Saturday when our perfect little nearly two-year-old granddaughter, Charlie Grace, even with a beautiful name like that, said the word for the first time in our home anyways, mine. And I was right in front of her when she said it. And I watched her eyes and she saw mine get real big. I go, oh, here it begins. (laughs) I witnessed it. This is the beginning. Because the will is the capacity to choose. And little Charlie Grace is now on her way of learning how to make choices. She's discovering her will. How to say yes and no. And sometimes to say no and to say mine are ugly words, not always, but it now becomes the influence of all of us who are around her to help her manage the course of her choices and her will. That comes with this dimension. And what's fascinating to me about this is it's not just about um, a little two-year-old because we, we expect that, we anticipate that, that all of you even had the answer. But we find this battle deep with inside of the spiritual giants. Those most mature spiritual people that you know in your life battle with this thing called the, the will, the choices we make along the way, our yeses and our noes. And in fact, you look at the Apostle Paul the one who gave us so much of the New Testament in the letters that he wrote. And he himself, in Romans 7, says, that which I should do, I don't do, and that which I should do, I do do. And here you've got the spiritual giant speaking to what is a tension and a battle for all of us, one that I call the battle between our want to and our will to. Our want to is high. Paul wanted to have that full expression of harmonious relationship with the living God. But the will to do that in and out of every hour of every life becomes a battle for us. And it's in the simple things. You want to lose 10 pounds. Your want to is sincere. It's authentic. You really want to lose 10 pounds. But your will to do what you need to do to lose 10 pounds falters a little bit along the way. This is the will. It's the heartbeat of our capacity to make decisions and to make choices. To live in step with God, we must surrender our will so that his will becomes our will. We don't do it in our own strength. We need his help along the way, which we'll connect here by his power in the next circle as well. This is the second dimension I wanna give a little energy and attention to, and this is the mind. I bring us back to the word of 2022, Shema. Listen for and align your mind with the mind of God. But let's gain some perspective. The Hebrew, ancient Hebrew perspective of mind includes your thoughts and your feelings. It's what I think and what I feel. It includes desires. And so we find that when God breathed life into us, he intended us to live in a perfect, harmonious relationship with him, with the choices that we make, and the thoughts and the feelings that we have. But do we really do this? I mean, if I was fully aligned with 
God with my thoughts and what I think, I would think always things that are true and right and pure and good. But do I always do that? Do you always do that? That's an interactive question. No. Um, or if I was fully aligned in harmonious relationship with God, I would fully feel love and hope and peace and patience and joy. I would fully feel that, but do I fully feel it? No, because my mind is a mess and so is yours. It gets disrupted and so those feelings instead move to hate and to anger and to frustration and all kinds of different expressions we have along the way. And it happens to all of us if we wanna be honest. Are you willing to be honest with me? I'll be honest with you. Take you back to this past summer. Carrie and I were at a beautiful wedding. I had the privilege to officiate for dear friends of ours. And it was down in Red Wing outdoors on a glorious summer day. And it was a happy mood. Everybody was enjoying themselves. Carrie and I were happy. We were just glad to be there. We're going to dance the wet night away. We're going to eat a feast with these beautiful people. It was a happy occasion. In the middle of our dinner, I started to have this eerie sense that something was missing. And I'm going through the checklist. What is it? I can tell it's real. And I realized that I don't know where my phone is. Been a problem for me this past year. My phone has feet on it. I don't know about yours. It tends to go to places. I go, where did you go this time? I'm always trying to find my phone. And I'm going, where's my phone? And I, I can't eat and enjoy my food. Already, um, something begins to happen to me because I'm wondering in my mind where my thoughts and my feelings, it's like the, the light switch just went in a different direction. And I start to have this battle in the dimension of the mind with my thoughts and feelings toggling be between hope and despair. Hope that I'm gonna find my phone and despair that I won't or worse yet that it's actually stolen. So I excused myself. This is in the middle of an incredible steak dinner which I never did finish by the way. And I went to scour the whole property. I went into all of the rooms, all the bathrooms, every place that I could go and did not find my phone. In fact, I would learn later that indeed was stolen. That's another story. But in that place, I'm now wrestling with my mind, my thoughts and my feelings. Can I just tell you this much? We did not dance one dance that night because I was done. I had moved from a place of happiness to a place of agitation, annoyance, anger, frustration, keep adding in. There were a few more things that I could qualify my descriptive state of mind at that time. And yet, <clears throat> that's what I was walking through. And so I would tell you this, that that ride home from Red Wing to Chanhassen um, is a ride that Carrie, my beautiful wife, would just as soon never ride with me again because of what happened in the cart, which was essentially nothing because I go quiet in my place of despair and anger, but do you think the anger is still felt in the cubicle of a car which is ready to explode it does and I, so I'm mindful I'm struggling managing my thoughts and feelings along the way and sometimes we have grounds to be lost um, and to lose it in our our broken world and, and we get pressed in just like man I've had enough of all of this but how I choose to manage my will my choices over my thoughts and feelings really does matter 
And I will tell you that it, it was stolen, and fortunately I had a chip in there, so I was able to go to Verizon, and we pulled up my account, and we watched my phone drive around all over Red Wing for days, and thinking about how do I get my phone back. And so arrangements were made, and we were able to get my phone back. And the mind question that was offered to me, see they keep coming, the mind, my thoughts and feelings, do you want to press charges? press charges. I want to put him in prison for the rest of his life. <laughs> That's what I thought. I, I was angry. This, this has been really a frustrating week for me on a lot of different fronts, but you get what I'm saying is that we're called to manage these things, and they're not easy to manage. They're easily derailed, and I have to deal with that hope, and how do I deal with it with the truth that I know that's in me? Paul makes it clear in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you might know what God's good and perfect will is for your life. Anybody would like to know God's good and perfect will in your life? Raise your hand. We want to know it. But it means we must be transformed in our mind, renewed by Christ, because left unto ourselves, our thoughts and um, our feelings self-destruct. And we see that disruption all over the world in our own backyard, in our own relationships with our families. It's part of the struggle we have. And so when we receive Christ, we receive the God advantage of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and begins to regulate our thoughts and our feelings to the end that we actually demonstrate these markers. They're clear in the scripture that we are people to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit so that love, his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, nine fruit of the Spirit become the evidence that we are a different people. Our minds have been transformed by the renewal of Christ who is is in us. So we simply have to appropriate what is already in us, which is an act of the will, the choice. To love God with all my soul means I must surrender my will to the Lord so that his will becomes my will. And I have to be transformed in my mind. There's a third dimension. And the third dimension relates to the body. And let me take you back to our word of the year, Shema. Listen for and align your body with the body of God as revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And the body, by the way, is a fascinating endeavor because we find in the body the reality of something that you could call as our power pack in a sense. It's the power pack that um, all of this other stuff happens, so our will reigns in our body. Our mind, our thoughts and feelings get lived out through our body. The body is a collection of habits and appetites, and they are incredibly powerful. In fact, too often, the will lacks the power to control the mind. It just doesn't have the power to control the mind. So the thoughts and the feelings coming through the body end up sometimes leading on us on paths we don't really want to go. And so our, our appetites veer off the course, or our habits um, drag us down a path we really don't want to travel, and our, our lives can be a mess because of it. In fact, we can find all kinds of problems, immense confusion in our lives, 
about who we are and who God is and what the world is all about. We have addiction problems. It's one of the crises in our country right now is addictions. And many of us here struggle with addictions that control us to the end that we can't seem to exercise the will. See, we sometimes think, oh, I'll just, I'll have greater willpower. I'll will myself to go and get myself healthy. But the reality is our habits and our appetites, they are, they will power over your will. They just win all the time. And so we need a help greater than what we could bring to the table, and that's what Jesus gives to us in our life and our journey. In fact, Jesus makes the diagnosis of this struggle in the face of temptation. If you recall the story when Jesus is about to go to the cross, and, and he's dealing with it big time, and he knows what's before him, and yet he finds himself in a place where um, he's, he's wrestling with his will. And he's coming before God and asking for help. And so he invites his friends to come with him and to pray with him. If Jesus were right here right now and said, would you, would you come and pray with me? I think everybody here would stand up and run toward me and you would begin praying with Jesus. You'd want to pray with Jesus. We want to be with him. So did his friends, by the way. In those crucible moments of his life, they came to him in that hillside and they prayed with him. But remember what happened to them as they were praying? They fell asleep. And Jesus calls out to them, and they're dead asleep. Your spirit is willing, but your body, your flesh is weak. So the flesh, the habits, the appetites tend to win over us in this journey, and it's a real challenge to say the least. So Jesus becomes this power pack that helps us cultivate new habits and new appetites. And that's why we spent some time creating an opportunity for you to pick up the rhythm guide that our team put together, spent a lot of time just giving you a different practice each week. To, it was to cultivate the soil of your soul um, toward habits and appetites that would want more of God and live in the will and the way of God in your journey. And they're available um, at our services, and you can download them if you're worshiping online with us as well. In the course of the series, I've kind of refreshed a few of my appetites as well because, you know, I've walked with the Lord a long time. Sometimes we need a fresh approach. So I've taken my Bible during the series and I've opened it up and it sits on a table by my chair. So when I come downstairs first thing in the morning and I first turn the lights on, I see an open Bible. You know what I've learned in the course of these weeks is that an open Bible is a red Bible. A closed Bible is one more step to get it off the shelf, your bedstand, and to open it up. But when I turn the light on and it's sitting there and it's open, I can almost hear the voice of Jesus say, come sit with me, I'm waiting for you. And so I do, seven minutes of silence first, and I begin to read, I'm going through the Gospels, and every day I drink from the fountain of the mighty God, and he's feeding my soul. He's changing my habits and my appetites. When I'm drowning in self or whatever struggles I'm going through, which is an easy thing to do these days, I'm lifted up and I'm breathing new life through the hope of his word. It's a simple practice, you might wanna try that. Or the practice that we've given you for a long time here simply called halt in the face of temptation, and that is when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you are more susceptible to temptation than any other time in your life. So halt, stop, surrender, because I know in my place where my will, my mind, and my body are diminished. I need to surrender my will to God, be transformed in my mind, and get fed in my soul. 
uh, in my body in a new way, with new habits. So I release and I surrender. These are simple practices, there are all kinds of them, but we need to cultivate our soul so that we can surrender our will and have our minds transformed. So what runs your life is your soul. You could call your soul the great integrator. It's what integrates the will, the mind, and the body into one whole being. And that's why the word integrity is such a deep soul word. The congruence of my inner world with my outer world that's seeking to align with the will and the way of God. And I need his help to move me in that direction as each of you do as well. And that's why I say, no offense, you're a real nephesh. And you might just be saying to me, Joel, you're a real nephesh too. You can say that out loud. Joel, you're a real nephesh too. You can say it. Joel, you're a real Thank you. <laughs> it's a compliment. Because I know that I am a soul breathed by God who gives me life. And now the journey of the soul is to cultivate it and to care for it in a way that it would align with him in relational harmony with him through the surrender of my will, the transformation of my mind, the feeding of my body with new habits and appetites. And something happens when you move into this practice and you get better in it in the the life that you live. Um, You start to care for your soul, want to care for your soul in even greater measure, but something else happens. The door flings open wide and your eyes begin to see the soul of others. You you begin to see the soul dimension of a friend. They aren't just friends to have dinner with or go to a Super Bowl party with. There's something greater you care for their souls. You begin to see your kids as a soul. And you're not just concerned that they find some great job in their life so they, they can have more than what you had and they're prospering on the face of the earth. No, you care for the whole being of their soul and you start to nurture their soul so that they get their eyes off of themselves toward the living God. You start to care for your neighbors and your community in a different way and something else happens you care about the souls in the world and that's why we have a mission at Westwood to reach people with the love of Christ here near and far we're included in the here but also the near the people in our own backyard and in the far because we have the heart of God and the eyes of God and we've seen and tasted that transformation in our own lives and we want others to taste that love and that joy and that peace that only comes from him That's why I want you to meet J.J. Alterman. J.J., I heard he was coming to town just a few weeks ago, and he said, I want him here. I want you to meet him. I want him to meet you because J.J. serves the Lord um, in Togo, Africa, and he is part of our FAR ministry, so we invest over the last few years into this work. We're seeing a mighty work of God here, and I will say I think he is just one of God's very bright soul keepers, soul carers, and soul winners. I've been so excited for you to meet him. He got in late last night, and so we just reconnected this morning. We're going to have lunch together today. Can't wait, but would you give a warm Westwood welcome to J.J. Alderman? Come on up, J.J. Thank you. Great to be here. You still awake and doing okay? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing he's, great. Glad to be here. home for a season here, traveling all around the United States, connecting um, with friends and partners, and we're just privileged to be a partner. But first of all, just start out, where is Togo? Because so, not everybody knows about Togo. So Togo is a French-speaking country in West Africa, sandwiched between Ghana and Nigeria. Okay. And I would love for them to just get a glimpse of when your soul was awakened <laughs> to the reality of Jesus Christ. You surrendered your will to the Lord's will. Start there. 
So I met Christ early on. At 17 years old, I was sitting in a room like this. And I felt like I had to answer the question, when it's all said and done, is it really going to count? I had my own plans. I had my own way of quantifying what I thought success looked like. But I had to go back to just what you're talking about. That place of will and saying, it's not mine, it's yours. And that means that you get to write, you, you get to write the story. Yep. So you surrendered your will, your mind, your body to the Lord, which is really fantastic. Look what God is doing in your life now. But you also had this awakening to care about the souls of people in Togo and beyond. And what was that transformation about for you and with your family? So Togo is a place on the other side of the world where nine out of 10 people have never heard for the first time that Jesus made away 2,000 years ago. And so it's that place that I would call an opportunity an opportunity to be able to share your life with other people and to be able to tell them what it means to have hope in Jesus. That was different at 17 than it is today. I'm I'm married, been married uh, a little over 17 years now. We have three little girls. In fact, I I have a picture up here. You can see my family. So we have nine, eight, and six. We live on the field. I tell people every other load of wash is a pink load of wash at our house, and we're having the time of our lives right now. I love it. You know, I, I can see how God took a hold of your soul, that you became awakened to so many lost souls in Togo that you would go and serve them, and you had grown up, so you have some commonality there, but how did you get your wife to join you in that? So we met. She had already traveled for the first time as a 17-year-old. She had the plans that were really laid out for her. And when she went overseas, the Lord started speaking to her heart at the soul level and saying, there's something else. I want you to make a correction on this. And she said, okay, and started pursuing a life of, I would say, giving her life away. And so when we met in college, I said, have you ever heard of Togo? And she says, no, never heard of it. I said, it's okay. I've heard that my entire life. I grew up there. And I said, let's go visit together. Let's go see this place called Togo. Yeah. I just think it's an extraordinary thing. It's one thing for me to go to choose it, to be in a field like this. It's another thing that wife and children choose it. And especially with where you are. You're in a dark place. And the reality is, and that you've heard me say this, friends, we are living right now in a time that's historic. There is revival and spiritual awakening around the world. And we're privileged to partner with JJ to that end in our FAR ministry where we have made a commitment as a church by 2028 to plant a thousand churches, see tens of thousands of souls won for Jesus Christ by 2028. We surpassed that goal in the fall of a thousand and we're at 1250 and we're recalibrating those numbers. I'm not sure what they're gonna look like yet. We'll announce that when we're prayed over and discerning what that might be all about. But in the midst of going there, you're seeing God at work. So give us something about the evidence of it and the obstacles that you see because Togo is no easy place to bring the gospel of Christ. Well, let me, let me tell you about the context of what that looks like. In fact, we have a picture of a, this is about 50 miles from our house. This is the birthplace of voodoo for the world. And it's the place with great darkness that hun- for hundreds of years now, this tradition has continued on and it's very, very real. And so this is actually the home of the Python temple. And, and the thing that's meaningful to me about that is people who are born in this area, yeah. actually a python, I've never been close enough to look at one, have breathing holes on their face. And so what they do with their children is they actually scar their children with 10 scars on their face to represent the pythons to be made in the image of their gods. 
-hmm. not realizing that they've already been made in the image of their creator. And so it's in that context, it's in that place where when we get to tell people about Jesus, we get to see radical life change from darkness to life when people say yes to Jesus. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, can, I, can yeah, we show them the story? Oh yeah, this is a great story. So there's a, there's a picture of this gentleman and I was speaking with Moses. Moses is a pastor that we work with. And I said, Moses, what can I be praying for you about? And he said, would you pray for my dad? He doesn't know Jesus. I said, well, have you shared with him? He says, of course, many, many times. But my father has worshiped voodoo for so long, that's all he's ever known, that's all he's ever done. I said, okay, can we ask our partners to start praying for this? Can we ask people back on the other side of the world to start praying for this man to meet Jesus? And this is a picture of a lady who met Jesus two and a half years ago. She's learned how to share her faith. She's an illiterate lady who heard about this man who needed someone to be able to talk with. And so she went across town there in the city of Anejo to share with this elderly man in a patriarchal society. And this is the moment when he met Jesus. He said yes to Jesus and said no to his lifetime of idols. This is Moses' dad? This is Moses' father. Okay. It sure is. It sure is. And he's actually reaching down and he's pulling off this bracelet that he's worn. We would call it a charm bracelet. He's worn it for his entire lifetime. And he's saying, this is no longer what keeps me, protects me, or sustains me. He pulls it off and then he has two questions. He said, would you teach me how to sing? I want to sing to Jesus. I don't know how. Yeah. And his second question was this. Would you teach me how to pray? I don't know how to talk to God. And I want to learn how to do that. Within a couple of weeks, four more of his family members trusted Christ as well. And he said, my family will follow God. And that's exactly what you're seeing. This ripple effect that's, yeah. that's happening. Not just with him or his family, but in his community because light is shining in dark places. And this is what we're joining with you in and around is the multiplication of God's grace. So people coming to faith, then sharing their faith. It's a reminder to us, share your faith. Yeah. At that Super Bowl party you're going today, have a good time, eat well, plant seeds of God's goodness in the souls of people who may not know who Jesus Christ is. This is what's happening in the world. Let it happen here as well. Speak just a little bit about our partnership and our investment with you. What does it look like and what does it accomplish? So, so we've partnered for the last three years together. Yeah. And over the last three years, we've seen churches that are planted. We, we saw a church just recently that uh, a man named Etienne said, I have to go to that village. I have to go. There's no gospel presence. I have to make sure that these people hear. And from there, that church was planted. And within just a matter of a few weeks, the surrounding villages started asking the question, what happened in that village? We don't know what happened, but it changed. The context changed. And the neighboring chief, who's also a witch doctor, said, whatever happened there, we want it in our village as well. Mm -hmm. He found out it's a church and he said, we still want you to come. Yeah. That's what's happening right now where young people and believers are saying, if the gospel's going to get there, I'm going to have my part. So churches are being planted. Yeah. Leaders are being raised up. We're using mobile sports camps to be able to share with the young population because 70% of our population is under the age of 30 years old. And so to be able to reach a nation, we have to invest in leaders. We also have two deaf populations, one in Togo and one in Benin. In fact, here you'll see a, a deaf gentleman who's teaching one of our missionaries on our team how to be able to sign and communicate. In a recent conversation, she's talking about this is what it means to be able to raise up someone else. And he pauses her for a second. And he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
We have to help the deaf community to do this. We have to be able to raise up more leaders and share with other people. And then we're working in vocational training. And that's because we have disciples who don't have tent-making skills to be able to take the gospel to the next village. And so we believe that we need to equip these leaders, these believers, so that they can continue to take the gospel further. And that's what we're seeing every single week. We're watching God do something amazing, that miracle that happens when someone passes from death to life. And we're able to do that together through our partnership. Yeah, boy, it makes you want to go to Togo, doesn't it? Well, you can in October. <laughs> we, we have a trip that's going to be making their, yes, we their way. We were supposed to go last October. I was going to be on that one, and it got canceled because of COVID. So we're going to go next October. That's our hope. And that uh, you can serve in camps, train, develop in the sure. Togo Center that you have there. And we give financially, and we're sure. delighted to do that. But we also want to be in prayer with you and for you. We want to put up on the screen. If you're interested in learning more about our West Africa team, outreach at westwoodcc.org. Just give that a shout out. We will follow up with you. JJ and our Chan Hassan campus will be down here in the front so you could have a conversation with him here as well. But man, I just have been so excited for you to be here. It's been a privilege to partner you. with you these three years. Thank God's you. doing great things. Continue to be that servant. And let's thank JJ for thank his you. service. Thank you, JJ. Appreciate that. Well, I'm going to invite Ben and the team. They're going to come and they're going to sing um, in the Chanhassen campus and the other campuses. We're going to sing together the Shema before we go. But would you stand and receive this prayer? So, Father God, thank you so much that you breathe life into us that would make us living souls. And though we've been disrupted by this thing called sin, um, I pray that we would welcome the person of Jesus who makes us whole, one being with a will surrendered to you, a mind transformed by the renewal of our, our faith in Jesus Christ, and then a body that has habits and appetites that get cultivated toward the things of full harmonious relationship with the living God. That's our desires. And if any of us here have not yet yielded our life to that end, speak to us by the Holy Spirit. Convict us of our sin. We'll confess it and say we're available to be of your bidding in our own lives, in our families, lives, communities, and all around the world. Your praise and glory. We praise your holy name. Amen.